We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Make Time for This. Probably part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. Andrew, I was confused to what podcast I was doing there, and then I started to think mid-intro. Is this the right one? Is this how I do this? I, it actually was, though. So I'm sharp. I'm alert. I'm ready to podcast. How are you? I'm the same. Uh, you know, we we sit across from one another virtually qu- quite a bit, so it's understandable that you would wonder, are we sitting here ready to talk about the next greatest film that exists in the world? Are we talking about baseball? Are we talking about the Milwaukee Bucks? We're definitely not talking about the Green Bay Packers. Don't no, have to worry about sure. that. Not, we're not the other uh, but today is, you know, we've got one more after this podcast about the beautiful game, as it's called in some places. Everywhere. Um, everywhere, especially here, especially in my home. The game, it is beautiful, Adam, and I've been enjoying it so much. And uh, the, the world's game, the, the final game in the most prestigious football competition in the world, the World Cup. And we're we're, as I said last time, at the business end, and we're we're ready to let it wash over us. Yeah, we sure are. This is well and truly the business end of the World Cup. Semifinals are completed. We know who our finalists are. We're going to talk through all of that. I want to start because I maybe we'll touch on some of this at the end of the final. Uh, part two but overall what have your impressions been of this world cup as a football tournament as it compares to other world cups um i don't know have you formed any thoughts like that do you even think of world cups in that context but it's particularly something i guess when you get to this stage and you see iconic players have big moments or 
get set up for even bigger moments that you start to kind of zoom out and be like, okay, well, the World Cup is almost over. And what that means is this is a World Cup that is just going to be kind of sealed off in a vault of everyone's memory. And what is it that people are going to look back on it for? Is there something? How exactly will that be marked when it compares to other other tournaments? So have you had any thoughts like that or does that not enter your head at all? Uh I've been thinking about it. Um, obviously, this is a weird World Cup because of the time of the year that it's coming. Uh, I'd probably give it like a B in terms of overall just entertainment value, storyline, narrative building kind of a thing. I mean, we've gotten really great stories of teams and underdogs coming up big in when it matters most, uh, South Korea, Japan earlier in the tournament and then you obviously get Morocco making a run to the semifinals the first African nation ever to make it to the semifinals in a World Cup uh Croatia doing nearly exactly what they did four years ago um making it to the semifinals and then I still think we end up with a final that narratively is pretty interesting uh I mean there have been some really I think iconic matches that'll live in our memory moving forward. Netherlands, Argentina being one. I, I still think the France England match was very uh, entertaining and has some narrative might of its own. As as we think about um, England's next golden generation, uh, the young players that look to build upon this for uh, three and a half years from now. And, uh, Southgate's legacy and whether or not that'll continue. So I think there's been a lot of good, uh, obviously a lot of bad. And then, I, I well, even from a, a negative narrative perspective, we've had the whole Ronaldo saga. So this uh, World Cup has not been without its drama and talking points all along the way. And then in the middle, there's been some pretty good football, to, which is what it's all about. Even from my standpoint, the United States making it out of out of the uh, group stages and then uh, having a, a cold glass of reality, meet them in the round of 16 via Louis van Gaal and his advanced tactics. <laughs> I think it's been a good tournament, but I think it needs a really good final to elevate it. Um, and this might be slightly unpopular, but I know it's something I said in an earlier episode. I do think a world cup needs to be, all heavyweights, only heavyweights from the semifinal stage. And obviously we didn't get that this year. Um, we got a couple of surprise teams making their way through. I don't say that to disparage Croatia or Morocco. I think it's more a factor of how do you remember this version of Croatia 10 years from now, this version of Morocco 10 years from now. And does that outweigh what the memories would have been, for example, of an Argentina-Brazil quarterfinal or semifinal or a France-Portugal semifinal on the other side? I don't think it does. I think that's that's tough. That's unfair to smaller countries. And as someone from a smaller country who would love a Morocco-esque run at some point, um, I know how I would feel if it was my team in that scenario. But I think from a more neutral kind of detached viewpoint that is okay world cup zoom all the way out pretty pretty significant lengthy history now rich history um i do think argentina croatia france morocco 
and two two semi-finals that were bordering on formalities. I think Morocco did a much better job of staying in the game um, and making it competitive, but it still, to me, always felt like France were in control and would have had another gear if they needed to. I, I think that is a little disappointing at that stage. Now, it does set up a really strong final, the kind of final that a lot of people may have predicted from the start of the tournament. So Argentina, France, and all the narrative around it certainly has has the ability to deliver and all of a sudden for this to go down as a truly iconic World Cup. We know, for example, if if Messi wins his World Cup, well, this World Cup will be remembered forever for that reason alone in a kind of an all-time great sense. I don't think his performance has been even in the same universe as Maradona in 86. Uh, but if this is his World Cup where he's kind of the leader and over time it gets framed more as you know single-handedly final stages of his career leads his country to a world cup well then it will become something greater in i guess the collective memory uh just a side note i saw a highlight pack of maradona just from the 86 world cup going around twitter the other day and it's kind of thing when you see that you're like yeah sure i'm not going to scroll past that and i watched it there's just I don't know why we've all been talking about Messi and Ronaldo all this time. Uh, it it actually I, I think there's an interesting conversation we had at another time because it made me think more of a sport where I guess I'm more finely attuned to the the ebbs and flows of greatest of all time debates. Uh, because I've had no choice but to participate in them to some extent, and that's basketball and the NBA. There's an element of you know I think forgetting about Kareem, then a younger generation, just even looking to look past Jordan to crown LeBron. I think there is something to that too. Like there is no doubt about Messi and Ronaldo being in the top four greatest players of all time, but you just see some of the things that Maradona could do. Um, I don't know. Are we punishing him because he's the most deeply flawed, regular human of the bunch? Like, is that, is that what it comes down to? It's like, oh, well, he's not like Cristiano Ronaldo or he's not like Lionel Messi. I don't know. But I would, for anyone anyone listening who uh, has is not familiar with the works of Diego Maradona, I highly recommend them. Go fire up YouTube and particularly watch a lot of the stuff he was doing at the 86 World Cup. Anyway, that's a side note, Andrew. Let's talk about Argentina. The country where Maradona still reigns as the greatest footballing figure of all. Messi has taken a big step towards being able to challenge that, though. Um, I think it's fair to say that Argentina saved their best performance of the tournament for the semifinals. I also think it's fair to say that a Croatia team that was old to begin with and had gone uh, to penalty shootouts through both knockout rounds looked pretty leggy and old. They started well, they had a lot of the ball, were very patient, and I thought, you know what, this could be there for them. If you can keep the ball like that and continue to dictate play, I don't know if Argentina have a way to break that down and force something of their own. Um, but all it took was a little bit of sloppiness, a chance to get out and break, and the game split open. Julian Alvarez in particular being the difference maker here just for his pace, his direct running, um, him being kind of the perfect strike partner for Messi at this point in his career where all the conversation around Messi is that well Messi just walks around out there 
the best thing to do then is get him a strike partner who's just going to kind of bust the gut every time he gets the ball or sees a chance to get to a ball. Um, and that was very much what Julian Alvarez did here. Argentina did go in front uh, via a very well taken Lionel Messi penalty before Julian Alvarez added two more. Uh, the first of those being a pretty incredible run that was also helped by two very significant pieces of good fortune. Um, Ricochets that kept the ball in his path, but a good finish at the end of it. A player who's had a really, really good World Cup. Some of the Tara Martinez struggles. He has come to the fore. He may well end up a World Cup winner alongside Lionel Messi at a very early point in his career. And he won't even be getting a club game because this is this is what Manchester City has to work with, Andrew. Uh, what were your impressions of this game or the Argentina performance overall? Yeah, this was a real goals uh, change games match because, what, 31 minutes in, we get Juli- Julian Alvarez splitting two defenders, Dejan Lovren, who I shouted out last episode that he had not made significant mistakes in this tournament as I saw him make at Liverpool for many, many years. Particularly, remember uh, a match at Wembley Stadium against Tottenham where he had to be subbed off at halftime, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Neither keeps him onside or neither plays him offside nor makes a run to actually challenge him. Uh, In on goal, uh, tries to... I guess chip it past Lovakovic. Lovakovic cleans him out. We get the messy, perfectly taken penalty. Uh, and then we follow it up with two more Alvarez goals. Um, the second of which is one where we've got that individual moment of messy magic that will, mm-hmm. in 20 years or how, how many years removed are we from 86? It's sitting close to 40 years, isn't it? Um, when someone's scrolling on Twitter or mastodon or whatever the half of choice is at that time someone will, will it's just click a chip on that. in our brains it's yeah Elon Musk has successfully put that chip in everyone's brain exactly it'll be something that somebody doesn't scroll past i think not my brain will... just not my brain for the record everyone else's yeah the the chip in our brain will will hold an image of that messy goal where he keeps the ball alive down messy the assist. sideline messy assist. yes messy assist excuse me keeps the ball alive down the sideline, dribbles into the box, reverse fakes like he's going to go back out and hold the ball up, gets to the close to the end line, plays the ball in for Alvarez, who finishes it off. Just an exceptional moment of brilliance that reminds you that he's still got it even at the latter stages of his career. And it, it uh, it was a comprehensive Argentina victory. As everyone on this podcast knows, I bailed on them. I abandoned my Messi, <laughs> and uh, I still picked them to meet, make the final late after finally jumping back on the the bandwagon. And uh, they got it done. Argent or Croatia clearly just ran out of gas. I mean, it it became clear after that second Alvarez goal or the first Alvarez goal. Excuse me. Um, it's it's. It's tough to talk about this game and not think of Alvarez just because he was involved in every goal scoring action. Messi early gets a goal thanks to Alvarez's uh play, and then later Alvarez gets a goal largely thanks to Messi's play. So I think it balanced out cosmically there to where it it works out. But just exceptional performance from Alvarez, solid performance from Messi taking the penalty, and then the brilliant assist, and then 
Croatia didn't really muster anything in terms of attacking to to make Argentina sweat. And here they are in a final with all the narrative might behind them and Messi really playing for his legacy and going up to say, well, a lot of people who, especially prisoner of the moment people who don't think of like, I think it's it's tough to compare eras um, because when it comes to the club game, everything Messi's accomplished has uh, outweighs Maradona's accomplishments, but he doesn't have a World Cup. I mean, if, if raw numbers, Adam, no, no, and you're, trophies. No, agree, disagree entirely. I mean, the the thing for Maradona, and that that's the difference. One, I don't think I, I see comments like this at times or hear people say this about football. I don't think it's difficult to compare eras in the same way. I don't think it is. I think the game has not fundamentally changed. And you watch Maradona and what Maradona does, there's not this kind of uh, the cliche that gets rolled out again in the NBA where you've got morons who talk about plumbers and firemen. There's there's no sense of that when you watch football. If you watch Maradona, you watch Pele, the game is more fundamentally the game. There haven't been rule changes. It's not like there's a three-point evolution. So the game is generally much closer. Of course, there have been tactical changes. Of course, there have been improvements to how players condition themselves. Um, but it's it's much closer. As, as for the club level stuff, Maradona went to what was, by a very wide margin, the best club league in the world, in Syria at the time, by a very wide margin. He went to a club that was very firmly on the outside, had never won a Scudetto before, and he single-handedly delivered them a Scudetto and brought them to the absolute pinnacle of the game. Um, Messi has mountains and mountains of trophies, but I do think part of that comes down to, like, looking at how Messi lives his life against how Maradona lived his life. I don't I don't know should that factor into the discussion of who's actually the greatest player. Because I think that the height of what Maradona achieved, again, because we're talking as an individual, like there's no doubting also, none of this is a knock on Messi, by the way. Messi is probably the second greatest player of all time. Uh, again, he, there's certainly like, there's a group of four, which is Pele, Maradona, Messi and Ronaldo that I think is kind of hard to dispute now. Um, but Messi, when all is said and done, all of his success, like at club level for talking trophies, it's like, yeah, the majority of that is also going to have come with Xavi and Iniesta um, with someone who, by the time his career finishes, could be the most decorated and greatest football coach of all time as the manager. So they're very they're very different situations but i do think you can compare i don't think the era factors in in a way where it's like oh that's one thing or that's another i kind of well that comes down to two point. entirely different humans i think diego and, maradona's degree of difficulty is so much higher than messi's which is what makes it like an unfair to comparison just to look at maradona's raw goal type totals at the club level and messi's trophy numbers i think that difference in comparison is why even if you look at what Messi's done in terms of overall numbers, what Maradona did in context of the degree of difficulty and his career and the challenges he took on is why I think Messi even has to win this World Cup to be in the discussion is my entire point. I, I guess part of that too is I think numbers are so much more meaningless 
in football than they are in a lot of other sports. Like it's it's not a sport where you're just like, oh, player X has this many goals, player Y has that many goals, or you can add assists into that too. So therefore, that's the better player. That's not how that works. I think anyone who watches club football over the course of a season, you'll regularly see like the top scorer in a league isn't always the best player in a league. Um, and even taking examples where that might be the case, if we want to go to the Premier League this season, and I think if the season picks up kind of where it left off and maybe even improves somewhat for Manchester City, Erling Haaland is going to be the top scorer by quite a large distance. He may well be the player of the year too, but by the time the season's done, we could be like, well, actually, Kevin De Bruyne and what he's doing to keep City ticking or what he's doing to help Holland, like it's it's always a tougher conversation, I think, than same basketball or even the NFL is a good example. I, I think numbers are a smaller part of the discussion in an all time great sense because ultimately what it comes down to when you're talking about the greatest player, <clears throat> excuse me, is what could they do with a ball at their feet? How can they impact the game? And no one has ever been able to do as much as Maradona for me. His close control is a level that, I mean, Messi is probably the only person who's come quite as close to that. Um, Pelé could do different stuff. Ronaldo could do different stuff. If you want to kind of broaden it out, you have people like Johan Cruyff could do very different stuff. But yeah, I I, I get your point, but I, I do think it's also part of why I think a younger generation of fans, and I've also, I don't know if this is the same on US broadcast, but this is something I've talked about with some friends throughout the tournament. And part of me is kind of like, yeah, I'm really ready to have Messi and Ronaldo gone. Because even on broadcasts, and I've experienced this uh, as a Manchester United fan, watching a shell of Ronaldo just single-handedly sinking the team for 18 months, and every every time he's playing, commentators just being like, but what a player, what a magnificent record he has. And there are plenty of great things that you could see Messi do or even Ronaldo in more recent times. I feel like commentators are always overly eager to have their moment commentating on the great Lionel Messi or the great Cristiano Ronaldo, where there's a recency bias that kicks in where it's like, okay, we do need to just step back a little bit and say, well, 20 years time, how are we going to feel about this? I mean, there's no doubt the absolute upper upper echelon is where Messi is he is pushing right for the title of greatest player of all time in a sense that I don't think is purely recency bias like he is there that is there on merits his merits as a footballer like we can bring the trophies into the argument we can bring the accolades but I also think just kind of toss them aside it's like if, if you had Messi now and you had and you had Ronaldo now and you have Maradona and Pele and they're all on the pitch who's going to stand out that you're going to be like well, that's the best player on the pitch. It's an interesting debate, but for Messi, particularly in the eyes of Argentinians, to have any claim, to really get himself to a position where it's up for debate, yeah, he needs one more win. He needs a win on Sunday against France, and then an entirely new level of that conversation will happen. Uh, I feel like this has already happened, that he has pulled clear of Ronaldo in the... I guess near two decades long Messi or Ronaldo debate now, but again, like that's the one where he can like really and truly see all that is yeah, when Ronaldo's career came to a very grim end, um, Messi was 
still going strong and winning a World Cup, something Ronaldo never never did. Like that's again something for the narrative sense that is I kind of, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird to reach that point because the Messi and Ronaldo wars are uh, they're at least 15 years old at this point, like 16, 17 years old. Anyone who watches football has gone through multiple cycles of all of that. I would have been on the other side of that debate as recent as five years ago, too. And now Me I'm too. firmly on the the messy side of that debate. But to your point, I think like culturally and just like w- what he means as a football player from Argentina not all comes down to this Sunday, but it does to have any any claim to any claim to the throne. Like not even definitive best player of all time, but to even like you know fill out the paperwork to say I would like to submit submit my application as the greatest of all time. He has to win on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, and it's beyond that because his his reputation in Argentina has never essentially been like oh our Messi, this great figure, because he was always seen as a Barcelona player. And he put Barcelona first and his Argentina teams failed miserably in tournaments. And even when they get better runs, something that is still true for this one, they have failed to kind of set tournaments alight. The best of Messi and the best of Argentina has not come out in World Cups. And it seems like it did eventually get to a point in his career where he had achieved everything that could be achieved with Barcelona, where he... He reset and he reframed that and his entire focus like PSG is kind of the perfect project for him because he's not making too many secrets about he has not cared all that much since going there like he's going to play and he's going to do great things because he's messy but what he's about is winning a World Cup with Argentina and it was about winning a Copa America with Argentina before that he did that. Now it's about winning a World Cup. So kind of sentiments in Argentina is is coming around to him in the past few years in a way that is much greater than what it was before, which again, I don't know if everyone or kind of casual football fans would be fully aware of, but like Maradona is is God there. Like there's there's no overstating that either. There's no the cultural impact. I think just the I know the iconic nature and I think what people see in him, what people always related to or sympathized with or felt like was actively championing them with Maradona is something that Messi has never been able to do. And also I do think part of that is a more general question. Like will fans ever feel as connected to an athlete now as someone of Maradona's era where it was possible to be that. And he was even an anomaly in his own right. But when you look at just how kind of robotic and PR trained and the, the incredible kind of toll of celebrity that I guess really starts at Maradona and he was a victim of too, that now forces these people to shut themselves away and appear anything but human. We actually, whenever someone is incredible at a sport now, we use terms that, convey some sort of lack of humanity on them it's like they're a machine or you know (laughs) Giannis is the greek freak it's like there's there's always this kind of level of distance and that we can't imagine them being the same as us which i do think is entirely different to maradona where it's like maradona is one of us but he is he's got this special gift he's ascending 
um, as opposed to people that we just imagine as being completely removed, completely detached from the rest of us to begin with. I, I don't know. That's probably a general, a more general sporting point, but I don't know if it's possible for an athlete and a country or a community to build the kind of intensity of relationship that Maradona had with Argentinian fans, that Maradona had with Napoli fans, Maradona had with Boca fans. I, I don't think that's necessarily something that's easy for players to replicate in any sport anymore. It's definitely not. And what also factors into this in terms of eras is just the nature of how you build a career because Messi goes to Barcelona so early in his career, whereas Maradona was still in Argentina for a while before he makes the move to Barcelona and then Napoli and like Argentina to your point, especially just because of the, I I don't want to say every man, but uh, maybe that's the right word nature of uh, their view on, uh, Maradona, but he was Argentina's for, uh, literally for a degree before he makes the move to, to Europe. And then in the midst of that is is winning a World Cup. So just and Messi's in Barcelona at such an early age and building his career there that there is a little bit of that detachment. And just, yeah, th- there is that distance between athletes and fans now that just is is not going away because everything is one one degree further removed from like them being a real person just because of just the world we live in now. So Messi, obviously big opportunity Sunday to add one more piece to his puzzle in whatever argument he'll have it being one of the best of all time. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, We'll move on to France in a bit, but I guess another thing about this match is it's what it means for Croatia with mm-hmm. a run to the, to the final in uh, 2018, a run to the semifinal in 2022, an aging side, uh, Luka Modric in the midfield, uh, guys like Perisic, uh, Tejan Lovren, as we as we mentioned, the midfield of uh, Brozovic and uh, Kovacic, and it, I'm I'm a nation of less than than four million people to make these two r- incredible runs to World Cup success. Feeling like an end of an era to you, Adam? I'm assuming it is. It is, but I, I don't know if I'd write them off for too long. They just have a knack for producing really good players, for being very competitive. 
uh, Hosco Guardiola is probably the best centre back in this competition. As much as Messi uh, <laughs> made him the the canvas to paint his his masterpiece for this tournament, Don. I I would not be surprised if the next wave comes and they remain very good. Now, this good, probably not. We're talking about Messi's legacy. We're talking about Messi's place in the game in a greater sense. I think it's only right to talk about Luka Modric and where he fits within his generation and a generation of great players. Um, he is a quiet figure. He's very unassuming. When the other aging stars going for their one last shot at glory were making a lot of noise for a variety of reasons, whether that's Messi calling uh, Vut Veghorst a fool during interviews or Ronaldo storming off and doing all of his usual Ronaldo stuff. Modric was all business, was the picture of quiet kind of dignity throughout this tournament, exactly who he's been throughout his career, and just an absolute genius, just an absolute magician in the middle of midfield, can still control a game like no one else, still gets in an insane amount of running for his age um, and breaks up play better than really... <laughs> He's ever had a reputation for him, particularly for someone of his size. Uh, but I, I think Luka Modric is a player that will probably become even more appreciated in time because at 37 years old now, he is still brilliant in the center of Real Madrid's midfield. He is still brilliant for Croatia in getting into a semifinal. And you just look at what he's achieved and what he's been the beating heart of in recent years at Real Madrid. And then what is, he doesn't have a World Cup to go for it, but if you're Croatian, is there ever an expectation for that? The fact that he's going to have a runners-up and possibly a third or fourth place in this tournament, like that is unbelievable. Uh, what he has achieved is so far beyond what anyone could have expected and a really great player for a long time. Like, I remember very clearly when he arrived at Tottenham from Dynamo Zagreb and how well he settled in, how good he was with Spurs. And even then, when Real Madrid came calling for him, I didn't see him as the level of player that he has gone on to be for Real Madrid and the way he has immortalized himself as an absolute legend that are the biggest football club in the world with a decade's worth of brilliance, with a basically unparalleled uh, return when it comes to Champions League winners medals so Luka Modric for him to go and have a tournament like this and to help lead Croatia to this stage in the tournament once again if this is really getting towards the end of his career which I mean his performance levels would suggest it's not but his age would suggest it is there's no more fitting way for him to remind everyone of just how special he is than with how well he has played and how he has led Croatia throughout this competition. Shall we move on to talk about uh, the team with maybe the current best player in the world, Adam? Yeah, let's go to France-Morocco. Um, the better of the two semifinals is a game, I think, quite clearly, and no debating that. Morocco with a whole bunch of very questionable decisions. We talked uh, on the last episode about someone like Roman Seiss, like likely being done for the World Cup and possibly even out for months after. I'm pretty sure he left the stretcher uh, and left the game on a stretcher in the quarterfinal. 
Um, he was not the only one. There was a trio of Moroccan players who were injured coming into this game. Uh, one of whom was pulled before kickoff from the starting lineup. Um, and then Roman Salis has to come off after 15 minutes of the game and they have to make another change at halftime. That's really tough. I get why that happens. I get why none of those players want to miss a World Cup semi-final with Morocco. It also is not the pragmatic approach that gives Morocco the best chance of winning this game. And then they could see it in early goal and you find yourself behind and you've already had to adjust your game plan just before kickoff and you're going to have to take off one of your most important players 10 minutes later. And then you're chasing a game and you're already kind of working your way through substitutions and options to just make up for the injuries that everyone knew were there and were going to be a problem to begin with. And of all the teams, of all the kind of attacking forces to say, yeah, we'll get away with injured players like Mbappe, Dembele, they're not the kind of players, even Giroud for just the physical battle that you would put kind of not fully fit players in those situations. So I thought that was a really bad decision and it was unfortunate and didn't help Morocco in the end. I get on an individual level, on an emotional level, how that happens. But yeah, France getting an early goal through Teo Hernandez. He was kicked out of a really good tournament at left back following the injury to his brother, Lucas Hernandez. I've always really, really liked Teo Hernandez um, from, I guess, when he arrived at AC Milan. He's kind of moved up a level in his career, has helped Milan to return to the summit of Serie A and looks perfectly comfortable at home on that left wing with Kylian Mbappe. And from there, all credit to Morocco as they've kind of earned throughout the tournament. They didn't back down. They were just as game as you could possibly be throughout. They attacked uh, attacked France. There were plenty of moments where you thought, they're going to get a goal here. They were very much on the front foot. There's a bicycle kick attempt that hit the post right near the end of the first half, which really would have been a spectacular way to to draw a level. Um, but they were never able to get that goal. And it always felt as much as you know they were going to push on and push on. And the more they attacked, the more desperate they got. There was going to be a second goal here for the French. And without a Moroccan goal, uh, Colin Moani had just come on the pitch. He finishes it off, simple tap-in after a piece of brilliance from Mbappe and a bit of good fortune for it to fall into his pad, and that's game over. 2-0 to France. Um, I've seen some chatter about this France team, not particularly exciting people. I'm not finding that, I have to say. I, I think they're really, really good, and the way they're playing is really, really interesting. One of the big storylines coming into this game was Adrian Rabiot uh, was injured and unfit to play, which meant Fafana came into the midfield alongside Chouamani. That's an unbelievably young and inexperienced midfield, and they were phenomenal. Chouamani had his best game of the tournament, saved it for the semi-final. He's had a good tournament overall. He's really coming of age. Um, and Fafana was excellent, and that's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, look, like... It maybe only came about because Pogba was injured and Kante was injured and now Rabiot gets injured and misses a game. But you've got Fafana, you've got Germany, and you've got Camavingas there on the bench too. It's like France have already got their next World Cup midfield fully set in progress and playing really, really well. 
Their back four is really strong. Kanate came in, had an excellent game. Upamecano struggled a little bit at moments in the quarterfinal. I think Kanate and Varane is probably the strongest pairing they can go with a centre-back right now. So I'd expect those two to continue for the final. And Jules Kunde is doing very well right back. Anton Griezmann has a sneaky case for being like in the mix for player of the tournament. That's the other thing I'll say here. I think he has been incredible. And the work he's getting through, not just the passes he's picking out, the chances he's creating, but the the tracking back and tackles. I don't know why Griezmann hasn't been a number 10 his entire career based on what is happening to him now as a number 10. But I think France are just so complete. And even when problems arise, and they've had to deal with more than most. Remember, Kareem Benzema, the reigning Ballon d'Or winner, is with this French squad. He is in the squad, but he got injured before the tournament even started. And here they are in the final, having looked very impressive. And I believe they're underdogs to win it, which I can't make sense of, but they're very clearly my favorites. Yeah, Griezmann uh, is an example of someone where you talk about the the raw numbers aren't going to show the impact that they're having on a match. I think he's been... Uh, exceptional in this tournament. Um, two Mbappe Kobe assists. You know that's uh that's, that's what you that's what you love to see. Uh, the second one was a particular moment of bril- brilliance, just working his way through tight spaces to get a shot off, and then uh, there at, at the the back post, ready ready for a tap in. Um, uh, there were times in this match where I had written off Morocco and then they would have a flurry of attack down the field. And I was a little bit worried that my confidence was going to be misplaced much like in the Netherlands, Argentina match. And we're really going to be ready for extra time. Even when it was two, nothing, they, they still continued to give it their best effort. Um, yeah, I thought the, the center backs and especially Kanate were, were exceptional in this match, especially in that last ditch final third defending when you need to cut out a chance uh so morocco did not they weren't at any point bunkering down and and looking to like try and ride something out obviously they had most of the ball especially after france got the goal that that'll happen in games but uh they were in it up until the end of the match and i mean it they it wasn't a happy to be their performance that you would sometimes see from an underdog in a situation in, in sports like this uh, was also really to, as you mentioned, really impressed with Fofana coming in kind of in relief duty and did not expect to see his name in the lineup. I guess I had not been keeping up with Rabia's injury and he just came in there. And I thought, I thought it was one of the more stable performances by their midfield uh, of the tournament. And I have abandoned my Argentina again, but yeah, like I, I struggle to see this team losing in a final. It obviously could happen. It might happen, but I don't know. I think now that they're here, they're the defending champs. They've got Mbappe. They've got Griezmann in the form that he's in. They've got Giroud, who is their all-time leading scorer, it it just feels like a situation where Thanos is ready to snap his fingers and that's going to be that. But uh, did, did their job not without some, not adversity, but not without some pressure. And 
took care of business against a, a hungry team that really wanted to beat them and, and had a great run of the tournament. And on Morocco, like they they deserve to be where they were. And I mean, they've got obviously talent guys like uh, Hakimi Ziyech, uh in Nezri. They they're a really talented side and just have developed their squad to the point where the, the cohesion and the the organization put them in a position to take advantage of I don't want to say the breaks they got in the tournament, but just take advantage of their opponents to get them to a point where if that early goal hadn't have come in, who knows where we're at in the 80th, 90th minute, and who knows what Morocco could have taken advantage of that point, but just an exceptional performance from them in this World Cup. Yeah, an incredible tournament and another really good performance from Sofian Amrabat too. I think he's probably the person most deserving of kind of a shout out from any Morocco player. Kimi had a great tournament, Ziyech had a great tournament, but I think Amrabat was undoubtedly the player of the tournament for Morocco. Um, I feel sorry for Morocco, but I also, I don't like, this is an amazing achievement, an amazing, amazing achievement. The first country from Africa to reach this stage. They were not going into the tournament really being tipped by anyone as a semi-finalist. And to have done that and to have done it on merit, like they had to t- play big teams all the way. They got out of a group that had another semi-finalist and had Belgium. Um, They then beat Spain. They beat Portugal. And you've got to play France. Like, does it get any more serious than that? And to get all the way through to the semi-finals is a true kind of lifetime once in a generation feat that I hope those players treasure forever and the people in Morocco too. And look, it gives you a real building platform. Uh, I think there will probably be some feeling around kind of African football too, that it gives African football a platform where this can become a very regular thing. And I think certainly with the way and the game has evolved in Africa, and I think particularly tactically, there's been um, much talked about. This is the first World Cup where, every African team has been led by an African coach. Uh, I think that does kind of point to the evolution and the development of the game. This is no longer a sense of kind of coaches from Europe or South America are being drafted into lead African countries. There is kind of just the tradition, the ideas, the infrastructure in place with a lot of these kind of national teams where they've got coaches who have worked through their own system or that bring the ideas that the national associations want and they can deliver really really great results so uh, i think i really like not just a great story for this world cup but i think morocco getting to the semi-final is a great story for the future of the world cup and i would say an indication really of where things are going to go from here i i don't think it's going to become all that rare for africa to have multiple teams in the quarterfinals and more semi-finals are beyond as as the years go by what you're saying is herb reynard is not needed well, look, Herb Reynard <laughs> did uh did he not did. have a did not have a bad tournament himself. Not at all. Not at all. He just moved on. He, you know, the mission has been completed in Africa. Herb Reynard is now going to revolutionize football all throughout Asia and the Middle East. And this is when all of a sudden though with his career, everyone's gonna be like, Wow, look at how this man has just spread his ideas around the footballing world. And he's gonna look handsome doing it. That's that's never in doubt. Okay, let's look to the final. I think I feel confident in saying I know exactly what France are going to do. 
I think France will line up just like they did in the semi-final. The one change may well be if if Rabio is fit, he comes back in. Um, but I think that would be it. The question's Argentina. I don't think Argentina can play a 4-4-2 like they did against Croatia. I think they've got to go to the 5-3-2 they played against the Netherlands. Um, that's going to have Tyler Fico at left back instead of Acuna at this point, and it'll have Alessandro Martinez come in for Paredes, who I really feel like has been a liability for Argentina every time he's been on the field, so that would be a good decision to make. And go to a midfield tree of uh, Alexis McAllister, Enzo Fernandez, and Rodrigo De Paul. If that is the approach Argentina go with, we could get a very interesting clash of styles where I think Argentina could have the edge uh, because that's the lineup which will allow them to really kind of make things congested around all of France's danger, man, and to just pack the pitch there and try to absorb pressure, try to intercept. And when you intercept, it's about releasing the ball quick, having Alvarez as the runner and having Messi coming in support. Like that's, that's the way to win for Argentina. Uh, the one concern I'd have is one that is kind of what I said about Hakimi going into France, Morocco, but it's like times five to 10, uh, Molina is not a good defender. He's not really a defender at all. And Molina against Mbappe seems like a real, real problem. And even Taliafico against Dembele seems like a real, real problem. The instinct of the French is to have these kind of inside forwards. Both of those guys are cutting inside, looking to create for teammates around the edge of the box. They're looking to get shots off themselves they need to attack down the line against Argentina because I think if they use their width, there could be real joy. Teo Hernandez is an overlapping kind of left back up against Molina. Mbappe and Teo Hernandez could just tear them apart. And that's where if Mbappe is going to cut inside, which is going to get you the best out of him, they need to have Teo Hernandez like doing more running than he's ever done before, being in position to go out wide. And if so, I think they could pick Argentina apart um, defensively. Maybe some switching of wings, get Mbappe over to the right, Dembele over to the left at times too, and just kind of don't give Argentina something that's very much set and simple for them to look at. But some of the highlights, I think, again, off the Morocco match, and this is a recurring team, we said the same about his race with Kyle Walker in the game before. Is Mbappe just seeing like a sliver of space down the left touchline and just being like, yeah, I'm just going to kick this like 15 yards in front of me and I'm going to turn on the burners and no one's going to stop me. So the wide areas are where I'm really interested. I think Argentina's midfield is not the strongest by any means, but if they go to a midfield tree, um, McAllister, Fernandez, DePaul is good. It's solid, and they've done well throughout the tournament. I think they need the back five just so that one of those centre-backs can step out and keep an eye on Griezmann as well. Probably Lissandro Martinez being the most mobile of those. Um, but it's set up for a very interesting game. I think tactically, I don't know if it will be a classic. Finals generally aren't in terms of free-flowing goals and end-to-end drama, but I, I think it could be a really, really kind of engrossing matchup where it's one mistake could do it. I mean, that's with Messi on one side and Mbappe on the other. If you give them the slightest opportunity, they could punish you, and that could be it.
yeah, we we talk so much about your your point about the clash of styles and the tactical difference and what each match will do. And you just said something very important there though. This is a final and finals can get ugly and finals can get weird. So does this just have Nicholas Otamendi header off of a set piece winner written all over it? That can happen in these sorts of circumstances. For me, uh, I'm going to abandon Argentina once again. I can't decide what I want to happen in this final because, you know, I loved watching Messi my whole life of watching this sport. I think it would be cool for him to add that World Cup to his resume. France won it four years ago. You know, typically, you know, teams going back-to-back in any sport. It's just like, oh, do you want mix it up and have a new winner? But then Argentina, living in their fantasy world where everyone is against them, has been a little, you know, distasteful and annoying. Did do I really want to see them win uh, after the their world is against us and we're going to kick a ball at the Netherlands bench antics and uh, yell at them after winning a penalty shootout? Do I want to see that rewarded at the end? Who knows? Uh, but for me, it's coming down to which team do I think is the better team. Maybe that's foolish because it is a final and finals get weird. I think France is the better team. So I'm going to take France in, in something like a, a 2 nothing or a 3-1. Uh, I, I guess if Argentina uh, rolls the back five with the Martinez. Otamendi, I guess Romero would be the other center back there, um, gives them that stability and some, I guess, just defensive might to go up against France's attack. Will that uh, provide them the stability they need to stay in the game long enough to get a Alvarez or Messi moment of brilliance? Intrigued to see that. But I just think France is the better team, so I will foolishly pick France as the team I think is better to go in and do what they've done even when they haven't been at their best in this in this tournament in the knockout stages, which is just go out and play well enough to to get the result even when it's you know even when they don't look their best like against England or something like that. But uh, yeah, long winded. I'll take France. I think if Messi wins one, it's great. It's a very cool story. I am in agreement with you. The Argentinians have not entirely endeared themselves to me throughout this tournament. So I don't find myself rooting for that in a way that I might have otherwise. Part of me also, again, just feels like, look, look at Messi's age. Like He's had his chances and his time has kind of been and maybe just about to be gone. Mbappe could have two World Cups by 23. And that is a storyline I have a lot of interest in going forward because that's getting into something that is truly historical. That is getting into the territory that really only kind of Pele uh, has ever been in before. And I do think if France were to win, that is something where we're going to be watching the best player in the world in the years ahead and being like, like how many can he get? <laughs> like, can he just dominate the World Cup for the entirety of his career? Because we know of the greats who struggle to do that. Messi is an example of someone who that's alluded him. Cristiano Ronaldo, likewise. So I, I do think there is something to that narrative too that is really interesting. And at a point where we're about to bid farewell to Messi and we're very much in the Mbappe and probably the Erling Haaland there as well. Looking ahead, I 
do find something appealing to the idea of Mbappe getting two by 23 um, and having three more World Cups in him. And how does that play out? And what, what can he do there? I think that's interesting. Uh, the other part of this is France uh, and the Netherlands are in Ireland's qualifying group for Euro 2024, Andrew. And in March, I'm going to see France come to Dublin and put probably seven or eight past my home country. And at least if I can come out and be like, oh, well, they are the world champions, uh, that might feel better. So <laughs> this goes to whatever that theory you were bringing out or that that idea of the real kind of national champions last week. It's like, yeah, okay, well, let's have France come to Dublin as world champions, back-to-back world champions, and then we'll all be able to just, ah, yeah, look, we're always going to lose 8-0. What could you do? Uh, Is Stephen Kenny still your manager? I (laughs) failed. He is. There are some rumblings, but he is. Uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens historically we do very well against big teams we actually have a good record against France although not as good as it should have been thank you Thierry Henry uh, but yeah we, we shall see Just that's just to the idea that we've already talked about different qualifying routes being easier or harder just to get to a European championship gotta go through a group of France and the Netherlands so yeah, that's brutal. Mbappe getting another one and then having two or three more World Cups down the line. Very exciting. And it's, and the, the, the timing, as we expect in the next year or so, for him to switch up his, his club game and ha- take on a different challenge in that aspect of his career, there's going to be just a lot of things going on for Mbappe as he asserts himself as it's it's not next it's now for him in terms of the people person we're going to be talking about as i mean i guess him and holland are going to have not a rivalry but i think if if a narrative is to shape in the next uh half decade or so it'll be those two in the club game what can holland do on the international stage uh is is the next question to be answered well See, that's uh, they're actually an interesting example. Like, Norway didn't make this World Cup. An interesting comparison to Croatia and show just how special what Croatia are doing is. Like, Norway they, don't just have Haaland, they have Martin Odegaard as well. Yeah. They've, they have Alexander Sorolop. Like, they have some, some very good players. They probably do need to round that a little bit more. They could probably do with finding, like, just even one, maybe two top end defenders. But Odegaard and Haaland is certainly. Uh, they're going to make World Cups. There's no way they're, you're not going to make World Cups with those players, but yeah, it's tough. Especially as, yeah, it expands. Um, Yeah, that'll be fun. I I, I mean, Holland and uh, Odegaard are about as two good building blocks as you can have for that sort of thing. And to quote a band you and I have a lot of time for, Adam, you say goodbye, but I say hello to Lionel Messi as he comes across the Atlantic, maybe to enter Miami, and uh, I get to watch the twilight of his career in MLS. I I still think watch out for Barcelona on that, not to rain. I I I've I've been kind of skeptical about that actually materializing as well. I Particularly if he is still this good. Um, and I, I, I don't know. We'll see. Like maybe, maybe we'll see. I think you'll you'll get Sergio Busquets, 
um, which is a high-profile player, but not a ticket seller based on his style of play. Um, but to me, Messi, having left Barcelona, significantly decreases the chances of that because I do think the feeling at Barcelona is they want him back, given how much he cried and cried and cried um, at having to leave Barcelona. I think if that was to come about, he would probably go back. And then even beyond that, I mean, for the final stages of his, of his career, I I could see the pull of going back to Argentina, um, whether it's Newell's old boys, the club that is shared as a place that Messi and Maradona have both played in Argentina. I, I don't know. Messi has always kind of been pretty open about his affection for, for Newell's. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, Andrew, maybe. Uh, it would probably be a very good thing, you know, for even for the U.S. men's team. If we're looking at a World Cup being hosted, in the meantime, you get an injection of interest in the game because Messi's there. That's probably very, very good for the building blocks of the the sport in the U.S. going forward. But we shall see. We shall see what happens on that front. I think it would be a pretty good prank to uh, beat France in a final go out in the round of 16 to Bayern Munich here in a few months and then just go back to Barcelona or to America. I think that'd be a really good prank on Messi's part. He's capable of it. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm going France. I think 1-0 maybe. Could be 2-0 if if it's kind of stretched and opens up similar to the Morocco game. Wouldn't be surprised to see it go like that. But that's not to say that Argentina don't have every chance. It's it's a game which I think decidedly for fans going into it, either side has the ability to go out and win the game. Um, and I'm very excited to watch it. So that's it for the semi-final roundup. We'll have one more World Cup pod to come. We'll talk about the final. I don't know, maybe we put our own team of the tournament together. Something like that as well. Um, for our final wrap-up. So watch out for that, I don't know, Sunday, Monday, sometime in the the day or two post-World Cup final. Until then, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's make time for this. You'll hear us talk football occasionally long beyond the World Cup, but the core of the feed is generally movies. We also talk TV, music. Basically, it is the home for all things pop culture and Sports beyond Wisconsin's Tree Pro Sports teams um, on the Eurostep Podcast Network. Speaking of the Eurostep Podcast Network, on that main feed, you can find the All Things Milwaukee books. That's the Eurostep with Tywin Jamaron Caddy, uh, Winning Six, myself, and Jordan Tresky. All Things Green Bay Packers. If you are a sicko and you're you're really living All Things Packers, to be fair, Christian Watson is giving Packers fans real reason to tune into games right now. And after a bye week, some time to rest. <laughs> relax the mind maybe clear some other things from our heads Packers will be back on Monday if you want to get the lowdown all of that there's a new talk of the tundra just up from Jordan and Numac and cruising for bruising you're home for all things Milwaukee Brewers with myself and Andrew um, our most recent episode was our reaction to I guess we're calling it a trade although it was a steal uh, a robbery that the Brewers pulled off to land William Contreras more Brewers talk coming very, very soon. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you.
Thanks, Adam. <laughs>